Okay, everyone. My name is Daniel Ramsey. I'm the founder and CEO of My Outdesk. I got excited because Bill interviewed us on his podcast. And then I realized how, what a brain we had. So first of all, if you don't know of the business scaling up or the book scaling up and then the scaling coaching, Bill typically charges ten to $15,000 to do a workshop. And he's here with our audience sharing this completely free. So Bill, I want to thank you for being here yeah, and, pleasure. and acknowledge all of your years of experience. I mean, first of all, you've been a business coach and a master facilitator for over 30 years. You spent the last 15 years doing coaching and training. You've led and owned two companies and, and was an executive in two other companies. So you have a four, lot of- four, four plus two. Four plus two. Okay, six. But what I love is the Mastering Rockefeller Habits and the Scaling Up book. You've incorporated those and you've actually used them in business platform. So I just yeah. really appreciate you here today. And you're, we're, we've got this great topic, five moves. I even like your picture where you're pointing out that we used. I think that's great. Yeah, exactly. Who gave um, you that? I don't know. We, we probably found it and then used it. You know, what I mean? <laughs> we have great virtual assistants who do that kind of stuff. My wife was like, Oh my God, nobody uses that picture. <laughs> I, lo <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I love it. So Bill, thanks for being here. And it, it, did I leave yeah. anything out or w anything that we should talk about before we get started? I have a skateboard under my desk. <laughs> I love it. You're, you're in San Francisco area. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. We're neighbors. Yes. Is, you're Sacramento, right? Uh, yeah, we're in Sacramento, so I love it. Let's talk about what is the five moves? Like, what are we talking about and why is this such an important topic in your mind? So since the crisis hit, right before crisis, I'm traveling around the world, coaching companies, speaking at conferences, training trainers, developing curriculum around scaling. I'm working with all of this and I'm in seven, eight countries and then the lockdown hits and I'm grounded, right? Right. Now I'm working actually with more people than ever before, just right here from my home, right? Anyway. Um, I'm working with people all over the place and I'm now I'm working more than ever. I'm just working from home, but people are in all different stages of crisis, right? If you were making masks and respirators, you have one kind of crisis. If you were in the delivery business, warehousing business, logistics, you have another kind of crisis. If you're in the travel and tourism or the events business, like I have spent hours the last few days working with an events company that's working on their pivot. You're in some kind of crisis right now. We're in this unprecedented global event. And yet dealing with events is not unprecedented. Right. So I started to think about the things that I dealt with in the past, downturns, black market days, starting in 87 and moving up through the 2001 and 2008. And what got me through it in different kinds of companies in different industries. Now, this one's unique. And so you can't say that it's directly comparable, except dealing with a crisis, there are really common things, whether it's foisted on yourself through an error or your building burns down or whatever, there are some really common elements. And so I started to pull them together, not just the ones that I use, the ones our clients have used, right? And it's not the wisdom of Bill, which, you know, I'm sure in my own mind is vast. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe my grandmother and mother's minds, right, is infinite. But in reality, right, we're talking about the collective wisdom of 200 coaches working with thousands of clients over a lot of years. And all of the best of gurus that have contributed to business have grown and exited and done their work in business that we're pulling together in the scaling up framework. So this isn't five of Bill's moves. Now, within this are the 
things I think a lot of people aren't talking about. So there are a lot of basic things people are talking about. These five, I think, are less commonly being thought about, but are relevant, right? Makes a lot of sense. If you're listening right now, Bill has agreed to answer questions and we're monitoring the chat. If you're live with us on Facebook, please go ahead and say where you are, your name and the city and state that you're in. We like interaction. And also whether you're live or you know in the meeting with us on Zoom, we're meant to be interactive. Bill's, we've got his brain, so yeah. we get to pick it. So yeah. as we're going through, I'll monitor questions and, uh, you know, this is meant to be interactive. So let's get going, man. I really appreciate you yeah. being here and, and joining us today. So you want the first move? Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> right. So these moves in crisis leadership are about moving from surviving, which is the first thing, right? And right. we want to survive, but we want to actually get to thriving and it takes something to get through. So the first stop is the notion of leading without a plan. I think so many of us think we've got to have the answers before we can talk to our people, before we can get to work on things. And that's just nonsense. That's some shit you made up in your brain about like what leadership means. Leadership is to hold the vision of the future, to assemble the team, but it's not your job to create every aspect of the plan or to Mm. even have a clear idea of it. I was dealing with a company just earlier this morning that where the CEO is like, but I need to, I'm like, no, you don't have to figure it out. You want to know where you want to go and why it matters to you and the quality of the journey, but the team together can figure out how to get there. What holds people back from doing that? Like what is the CEO's block that stops them from? Well, in particular, right, CEOs tend to be smart. We come at things either as great executors or really as persuasive influence people or great at building relationships, or maybe we're super strategic, or maybe we have a little bit of a couple of these things and we're weak in some others, but we come at things from different places. And especially our founder owner types had the plan and the concept initially. So they've just gotten used to thinking that they always have to have the plan. Mm. Now, I know this really well because I was like this guy who always was like, I'm smart, I'm articulate, right? I'm strategic and influencing. So I think that I've got to come up with a plan and got to do it. And that helped me through a lot of companies and a lot of things in my life. And then one day it didn't work anymore. Mm. One day in the aftermath of 2007, uh, 2001, I had stretched the company's life out using debt, but I hadn't really fixed the problems. I was just kicking it down the road. And the bank called my bluff, right? The bank called me up and said, listen, and uh, gigs up, up, you're not in covenant. We're calling these loans and settle up. Now, I couldn't pay the loan and I said, and they said, yeah, we figured you probably couldn't. So that's okay. We know you've got a nice house and you know, we'll take the house. <laughs> that's awesome. Right. It seems funny now. Yeah. (laughs) Not remotely funny that I just could think I just felt like such a failure. I felt so foolish. So first I thought about like how to get out of this, how to survive this. And then I realized I didn't, I didn't know how to solve the business problems. I didn't know how to settle it up with them. So all I could see was the failure of the business, the loss of the house and my fear that I came to name before long, but it took me a minute was that I'd lose the house. The business would fail. My wife would leave me. I'd become a weekend dad. And the failure of the marriage is one thing. The weekend dad was uh, inconsolable. Now, today I kind of am, right? My kids are grown and and I'm really grateful when I see them on the weekend. But when they're young, right, that was just horrifying. So, uh, and I know some people make the best of it, but that was my fear. So anyway, there we are dealing with that. And I just suffered with it. Like I was awake in the middle of the night for several weeks and I was going through the motions at work. And now the only people who know this at this point are my wife and I. 
and I'm not really talking to her about it because I'm afraid of what she's going to say and she's expecting me to solve it, even though it's a company she founded and I'm just the CEO now, I like, I feel the weight of it and I, I don't have the answer. So after a while of suffering with it, I got to this breaking point and she just acknowledged it. She gave me room. She said, look, I'm not going to leave you. Uh, no matter what happens. We can go live with my parents. We can do lots of things. Mm. We can restart. You know how to restart. She said, but is that what you really want? Is that the example you want to set for the kids? And my kids were really young then, but it was really clear in my heart that like I wanted to show them how to fight, how to like not buckle under. I knew how to restart, how to start a new business. I knew how to survive stuff. But like, so that inspired me, but I still didn't have a plan. (laughs) (laughs) So that meant I had to lead in a different way. And given the gig was up on all that, I went to the team and I said, listen, guys, we're, we're in a bit of a bind, the bank, you know, blah, blah, blah. They want to take my house, all that kind of thing. I don't really have a plan, which sounds like terrible leadership, except then I said, but here's the deal. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to fight to the very end. They'll lock the door. The sheriff will come, you know, they'll do whatever. So I'm going to fight to the end and I'll be honest with you. And I really would love your help to work through this, to fight through this. Mm -hmm. I understand if you got to go, but like, I would love your help. They all stayed and they all helped me work through it. And together we came up with stuff I couldn't figure out on my own. Together we collectively worked out a million different little decisions. And that was a huge shift in the in my style of leadership. I no longer had to come up with a plan. I had an idea and the 10-year vision that I had still applied. So right. I just kept repeating that every day. And some days I'd read that thing out and I'd just cry in the middle of the meeting. Mm. And I'd just say, oh my God, I'm just so overwhelmed with how far this seems, but mm. I'm not giving up. And that inspired the hell out of people right? The courage to be open and raw and and to carry on in the face of something, right? So you could lead like that. Fight like your company actually matters. Not like you could go, you know, drive Uber for a living. I I don't think you could do that anymore unless Uber Eats maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. I I think I've broken this into a step. One, continue to hold the vision for the company and communicate that. Two, fight like hell. Three, ask your people for help. Do you have yeah. what are the other steps around leading without a plan? Well, look, the really the key thing here that people are talking about is go get in communication. Go start communicating and engaging in leading. The job of the leader is to say, all right, here we go. Rally the team, assemble the team, rally the team, fill them with a vision. Maybe give them some rules of engagement, right? Your core values. Yep. But all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to solve this? But this notion that you've got to give them all the answers actually makes them small, holds them weak. I love it. Okay. Is yeah. there any other uh, step in this? No, that's it. Before we move on, anybody got any yeah buts, how buts, what ifs? Oh, look, we got a big one there. Well, that's our notes. So we've put oh, that's your notes. Okay. Yeah, we'll continue. <laughs> we'll continue to take everything that's out of your brain and add notes. But yeah, I think it's All right, great. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's keep, okay, let's good. go. If, if anybody's got anything, just interject it. But I'm going to go on to the next one then. All right. So the next up is is about expanding your emotional range, your emotional intelligence, your authenticity, the courage. See, some people think being emotional is a sign of weakness, right? Oh, I can't let them see me cry. You can. It takes courage, and courage is strength. So it's fine to cry. It's fine to laugh. It's fine to do all of it, to be a whole human. And the truth is, most of the time, we have sayings like, fake it till you make it, right? And when you put that, it's like icing on a mud pie. It isn't actually fooling anyone. They all know the truth. 
Yeah, and at a time like this, they really know. Nobody's great, right? There are moments that you're great, and then moments that you're despairing, moments that you're grateful, and moments that you're connected, and moments that you're moved, and then moments that you're sad and freaked out. Like, you can have all of it because you're a human being, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there's power and courage in a leader, but it isn't about being like one way all the time, right? Stoicism is a really interesting thing, but the word stoic also can mean being emotionally flat, right? But you don't need to be a robot. You could be a real human. And in truth, that gives your people room to have a range of emotion. And in truth, when you cover something up, when you fake it till you make it, you're actually just suppressing that feeling and prolonging it. So if you name the feeling, you're leaning into the move and you're moving through it rather than trying to hold it back. You hold it back, it hangs out longer. Just lean into it, you move quickly through it. So you laugh one minute, you cry the next, and you go, and then you have a range for all of humanity. And it's just part of taking care of yourself, right? So we know, I know people are doing their best to exercise more. They're trying to eat right in spite of the volume of chips they're consuming in this period. Yeah, what's the- um, Extra drinking, but- uh, What have you seen your clients doing when it comes to name that feeling? When you're coaching your clients and helping these corporations and these larger, you know, enterprise level clients, what do you see them going through this name that feeling and how are leaders pulling that out of their team? So really- uh, there are a lot of different practices you could do around elevating emotional intelligence and mindfulness and stress management, and that kind of thing. Yep. The one that I'm pointing to now is far less common and is just about noticing how you're feeling. So that's self-awareness, right? Yeah. Mindfulness. Yep. Self mindfulness is simply self-awareness. And then just calling it out is actually a practice of acceptance. If you call it out in a public way, even better still, wow, I'm feeling off, right? If I get weird on stage in front of a thousand people, but I name it, it becomes a powerful thing. If I keep trying to, to like handle it in my own head, I forget what I'm saying, I look weird, people could tell something's wrong, but yeah. they don't know what. Right. But if I just call it out, I'm like, oh my God, I just spit on the person in the front row here. I'm sorry. <laughs> Instead of being like, oh my God, I spit on the person in the front row. Then I've got a whole internal conversation. I forget I'm talking to a thousand people. Right. The same thing's true with a leader. Something throws you off, just call it out. Go with it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay. What's um, John says that he feels this is so mm -hmm. true that he's been performing at, he has to perform at 110%. And that's very difficult right now. Well, maybe you could just reframe what 110% means. Because John, like a lot of us, probably a 110% kind of person, right? Right. But 110% certainly includes your feelings. Feelings don't last. They have some power. They reveal something. But I don't get overly attached to them. The only way they become really mischievous is if you try to suppress them. So just lean into it. Include that. Be, have that be part of your 110%, right? <laughs> yeah. Live fully alive. And you'll remember this as the time that developed you as a human being. Love it. What's next okay. move? All right. Next up is about um, radical requests. So a yep. lot of people are talking about cash improvement. And it had been really great if you had this fortress balance sheet before the shit hit the fan. But mm -hmm. most of us didn't, right? And maybe you had a little bit of something, right? Some reserves. And sure. maybe you have something, but you don't want to like wipe it out overnight to make 
everyone else okay, but not you. So radical requests are an access to improving it. This is a very non-technical access. But if you think that we're all in this together, then why should you be bearing the brunt alone? Why should bankers, employers, landlords, suppliers, why should everybody else be spared the pain? Let's yep. all work through it together. Let's shoulder that weight together. It's not your job to lose your house in service of everyone else, right? right. So I kept, like, in, back in that 2001 aftermath, I kept my house. Mm. We produced a breakthrough. We doubled the company. We improved the cash and the position of the business. Your job in your access to doing this is making really radical requests. By radical, I mean not ordinary requests like, hey, could you give me a little break? No, I need a year of free rent. I don't know if I have a business. I, look, uh, we still have some kind of business. I'm going to need something. I need better terms. I need some different logistics. I need, like, what do you need? And instead of being confined to what's been normal and useful, ask for what you really need. And the way to do this and not be a jerk is to be aware of what you're asking of someone, mm -hmm. the world they live in. So in after 2009, the business we were running uh, went down appreciably. And I didn't know if we'd have a business for some years. Yep. We would. We came to learn very quickly uh, with a rapid pivot. But first, I needed to buy some breathing room. So I went to all my suppliers. I went to people, including one of the first people I went to is my landlord. And I said, listen, I need a year of free rent. I don't know if I have any business at all. I'm going to lay people off. I'm going to do all kinds of things. And he gulped and he said, well, this is not provided for in the lease agreement or whatever. And you yep. know, I expect you to honor this thing and to manage it because you're the business owner and you've signed a guarantee and you have certain assets. And so he wanted me to make him whole, like that was his first thing. And I said, okay, listen, I got that and I'm not doing that. I am not going to wipe myself out to make right a whole personally to make right a business thing. This is a business transaction. It's a business lease. It's whatever. And I am not giving up my retirement accounts and my house to support this, but I will work with you within the business. And I need a year of free rent. And in return for which I'll do something like, I, I yeah. don't know, what do you need? What could I do? And he said, okay, I'll give it to you. I want you to report to me quarterly. Give me financials and an update to show that it's still needed and warranted. I'll give you that partnership. And I want you to give me two extra years with increases. And I want you to not, I'm not going to waive any rights to proceed against you if you end up in a bankruptcy, right? Yeah. So I said, fine. And so I agreed to that. But I got other things. Like I got, I went from being deposited and letters of credit to suppliers to getting one uh, supplier giving me a $5 million line of credit with 90 to 180 day terms. If wow. I would move more of my production to him and not hammer him on every last nickel on everything, just to be reasonable, not even to, you know. So I got all kinds of things from people, even my team. I started making radical requests to people like, we're gonna get through this. Now, in less than a year, we were starting to pivot out of it. In less than yeah. a year, we'd found things, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, but we came out through like four or five years of really strong growth after the 2008 downturn, after One an initial like hammering. Right. Adjustment. And that's what yeah. we're in right now is there's going to be an initial one or two year, right, yeah. in, in business. And you got to get through that time frame. I'm curious because I, I've got two questions for you. One, how do I get my people on this radical request? 
my bookkeeper, my sales team. Like, how do I get my people into the space of talking to all of our suppliers and vendors and get the right requests out there? Right. Well, I like to lead from the front, right? I like to lead by example. Yep. So I'm going to do some, I'm going to talk about what I did and how it worked and what went well and what didn't. I'm going to work through it with them. And then I'm going to ask them to do what could they do? And I'm going to keep nudging them up, right? Like developing any person or any leader in the business. I'm going to have them make a list of radical requests they could make. Then I'm going to have them practice one. Then I'm going to have them go do one. Then I'm going to do them some encouragement. Then I'm going to have them do another one, (laughs) right? So you're getting, you're building a whole culture around this. Now, the key though, is it's not about getting over on people or taking advantage of. It's what you really need. And it's fully respecting and appreciating the ask of the other person. I make a radical request of you. I fully appreciate and acknowledge what I'm asking of you, what it represents, who you are. And when I come from it from that place, the chances of it going well are very, very high. Right. What, what, here's another, like, I'm going to be devil's advocate. And I think a lot of people on this call might be having a similar situation. What if radical requests are happening to you because you are somebody's vendor or you are somebody's supplier (laughs) and you're like, holy crap, I've got a reduction in, in, um, you know, revenue. My expenses are more. And now I'm having all of my people, my customers try to stretch out payment. Yeah. And they probably will. Yeah. So they how do probably I? Well, I had a client very early on. This is a seven-year client, a company I've been coaching, operations in three countries, six, seven cities. You know, and they came to me and they said, "Our business is effed. We have to cancel your our work with you. Really yep. appreciate it, but game's up." And I said, "No, you don't get to cancel our work. I'll gladly credit you a hundred percent until you get on the other side of this. Yeah. But I will get you through this thing." I'm your partner. I've been your partner as we've grown up and now you're in a crisis and I'm not abandoning you now. And if you need hundred percent credit, you've got it. They came to cancel. I told them, no, I get it. I've had other people come and say, we need a 20% reduction. That's been the most common thing I've had. I need a 20% reduction. I had uh, one or two clients not renew their work. And then I had somebody else just ask for 50% the other day. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, really 50%? Like I'm working really hard. Um, and I think you need me, but, um, but of course I gave it to them because they needed it. Right. And yeah. they laid the case out. I, you know, I made them tell me what was going on and that kind of thing, which you, most of which I knew cause I'm the coach, but things had developed since we'd last spoken. So anyway, so I, I gave them the room and, and I'll get them through it. And I, each of them either has a great business on the way or in mo- motion or potential or like that kind of thing. And if not, it would be scummy of me not to help them in that time. Frame. What if you have, I understand that you're a coach and, you know, a very high performance one, but yeah. what if you had cogs associated with, with them? Right. Then I, I would just try to work it out. So I am now working with more people, more hours of the day than I was working before substantially. Mm. And I'm making less per client right now as a result of the extra things that I've done for people who've needed heavily discounted stuff. Yeah. I have also noticed though, that some of the people who ask for, especially new people who are asking for hundred percent free are not always putting the value in that work. So I'm letting people pay something 
rather than nothing in most cases because it has them value. There's some value to it, right? Yep. But you know, you just you're working it out. I've had people in turn offer me deals on things, my suppliers. Right. So we we all shoulder it and we figure it out together. I love it. Okay, what's our next step? What's the yeah. next move? Okay, so the next one you've been hearing about, we've been dealing with flexible execution, mm -hmm. right? We've been having people work remotely. So you're setting up your teams to work remotely. You're setting up VPN access. You're on Zoom a million hours a day. You're trying to figure out what cadence of that works. I find myself going long on one call and then late to the next one. And there's all kinds of, like, you're having to figure out this work. I think one of the things that's really missing right now, so there's missing some of the like social and play side and connecting with the team. Right. It's a little bit hard to do, but but I have had some teams now start to do a little bit more play, like they've had a happy hour and they've done some things like that together. And they've and what I notice is that you can't do well with that with more than four people. So if you're gonna start that, you you open four people. And then you start a little, you you open everybody, then you break people into little groups of four, and yeah. then you give people a warning after five minutes, and you put them in another group and let them talk in another group for a little while. Or you like, you got to break them into some smaller groups because you can't have 20 people on. Then you'll only have the verbally dominant people like uh, me on, and that's not good for the world. So, but the probably the biggest thing I see is the lack of dashboards and visibility. So we say that great execution is about setting priority. You might not want to, you definitely don't want to change your long-term visions, your three-year, five-year, 10-year kinds of things. Yep. And even your one-year, I wouldn't abandon them. I'd look for creative ways to achieve them, but I wouldn't change the goal or the vision. Now, I, I do want to maybe shift up priorities. So being flexible about the priorities, we're seeing some of that. Some people are just abandoning stuff, though. They're yeah. saying, oh, it just can't be done. I'm like, no, try some new way. Imagine what you would do and see what happens. And then the second thing is metrics and dashboards. So we've moved our meetings pretty successfully into platforms like Zoom, like right. uh, Google Hangouts, et cetera, Skype, whatever. But the metrics and dashboards are missing. So we now are working with our teams. We've tried a variety of boards and like online whiteboard spaces to collaborate with teams. We're using Mural with our teams. It seems to be the most accepted and most the best balance of like look and feel with functionality. And But the ongoing dashboard, so week in, week out, day in, day out, what are you using? Well, we have software in the Scaling Up world. The Scaling Up scoreboard is available. Right. You can go to scalingup.com and just get that. You can use that for daily huddles, for weekly meetings. But whether you use that system or whether you create a Google Sheet that you share and look at together online, you got to have something so that people know whether we collectively are winning or losing and remember what we're working on the key metrics. And you might need to change some of those metrics. Maybe some of the relevant metrics have shifted a little bit. But I think that piece, a little bit of shifting priorities and then a little bit of keeping the visibility of the progress out there, mm -hmm. even though you're remote. Because if you had whiteboards before, that isn't going to work now. Like, right. you know, a regular dry erase whiteboard in your office. That's yeah, you hard. you wouldn't suggest that teams change their metrics, though. I mean, like we track conversations and presentations and sales and, you know, what our what our retention looks like. We track there are systematic things that as a company we've always tracked. You yeah. wouldn't change that, would you? Well, I might in some cases. I'll give you an example. Our podcast this morning came out in episode Kevin Hundle. We used to make audio equipment, speakers, things like that, as we talk. Yep. Uh, and 
you know, counting the number of speakers sold is not relevant anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but they are making and selling masks and, you know, other kinds of face shields and things like that. So they would track different things right now. I mean, maybe your thing is about showing your customer base and community's love. And so maybe right now you want to add a metric of love communications, right? Man, I don't know if you know this, but we, um, and you're going to be on it. You don't know it yet, but you'll be in it. Um, we have something called vendor love. It's yeah. where we've gone to our partners and just said, hey, what discounts? And we've gotten some really amazing deals. And so we've put together a blog and a page and every vendor is giving away stuff just like you are. And yeah. we're sending it out to our client base. And just last night, one of our customers were like, Hey, I need this system. And I'm like, I got one. In fact, I got it like at 80% discount for you for the first 90 days. He's like, yeah. wow, that's amazing. Yeah. You also mentioned going remote. I just want to drop it real quick. If you want to, we have our 12 page kind of guide to going remote. And if you're listening right now, you can actually text MOD to 31996 and it's 12 pages of everything you need to go remote. We've been 13 awesome. years, 6,000 people fully remote and you can get that for free just by texting MOD to 31996. Um, so by now everyone is remote, but the question is, are you doing it right? And is. go get that guide and, and level up wherever you're at right now, right? Yep. So... MOD 31996. Yeah. Well, and what we're learning is there are like my favorite thing about the guide is the bathroom etiquette, right? When you're working remote, you don't want to say like my four-year-old, I need to go potty. I'll be right back. So you say bio break, right? Bio break, bio break, be right back five minutes, whatever the time is. There's a new way of communicating when you're all out of the office and most yeah. companies have never done that. So yeah. that's what the guide's yeah. for. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of cool. We know from Linda and from other people, you don't take the, the zoom with you into the bathroom. Ah, dude. <laughs> and you wear pants every day. <laughs> all right. I, I usually tell people I've got to go recycle my coffee. <laughs> sure. That'll work. <laughs> My name is Daniel Ramsey, and I really appreciate you listening to this podcast. If you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or just a C-suite person and you need to lead people, we've got a free go remote guide. We've got survive and thrive in this uncertain time. We basically want you guys to have all this stuff because we know how important it is and how fear and anxiety can actually drive change in business. And we don't want you to be one of the ones that goes away. We want to be partnered. And so thank you for listening. And if you go to that text code, it's text MOD to 31996. You'll get all of our stuff completely free. And again, definitely get those two guides. So we've been talking about four things so far. I said five moves. And all of this has really been about the surviving stage. Sure. But surviving well buys you breathing room, buys you room to maneuver, gives you the resources, the ability to do what's next, where we move into thriving. Right. So becoming a trend spotter is the key piece that we need to get great at. What's happening in the world? We're so used to thinking about our business. Oh, people are going to these kinds of events and people aren't doing this and people are traveling and people right. blah, blah, blah. And people can't come into my restaurant and whatever it is. Uh, nobody needs my catering anymore. And we're not thinking about what people are doing. So if you start to notice what's happening in the world and where things are going, then you'll see opportunities that connect to your core strengths and 
your core weaknesses. So there are right. things that you've never been great at, you probably never be good at, no matter how much you try and work at them, you'll always suck at those things. Right. Stop worrying about that. Acknowledge the weaknesses and the strengths, and then notice these trends and start to figure out how am I gonna be part of that? So right now, we've got a lot of shelter in place. Right now, we've got essential right. services. Right now, we've got emergency workers and certain people still working. We've got people in grocery stores. What do they need? What could you do for them? On the podcast earlier today, Kevin Hundle talked about taking his speaker audio business and pivoting it to these things. And the first insight was, hey, we've got this plastic. This plastic is being used in these barriers and stuff. We know how to work with this plastic. We have machinery we yeah. know, we, and we have suppliers for this. Maybe we should start making some of these things. So they did it and they hired back all of their 60 people and opened some new jobs already. Hmm. So that's the key that gets you through there. By noticing what's happening in the world and what people need, then you see the opportunities that only you could fulfill. And they might be in a different version of your core business, or they might be to the same customers, but a different, who knows what, what it is. Same business to different people or different business to the same people or some other iteration on it. But there's almost always opportunities out there for creative people. Yeah. And we want to look for trends far outside the norm. So don't just look at what's happening to you and your industry, but look broadly at what's happening in the world. Mm. Notice even the tone, the aesthetic, what kinds of music, what are the arts, what shows are doing well, what's the family life look like? When you think about your B2B company, but you notice this is going on, you will come up with insightful, creative things. Now, it might be that you're more of an executor than a creative ideator, but somebody on your team is. Right. And together doing this. So we have an exercise we call the SWET, the SWET tool, SWT, yeah. strengths, weaknesses, trends. In this case, we're really thinking about core strengths, core weaknesses, the ones that aren't going to change much ever. Right. And then the trends really broadly. But but start with your own industry, then your region, then get way broad. Look at what's happening to humanity and think about what it's going to look like. So go out two years down the road. There's a let's say there's a virus out there. There's widespread testing. Now we're all back. But everybody's afraid of the next one or a mutation or whatever. So a smart business person is now going to take their business and they're going to separate their physical spaces and they're maybe going to work in in more shifts and not everybody in every day so that we're always ready for the next meltdown yep. and uh, whenever or if it, or maybe we have a second wave and it doesn't quite match up and so we've got to deal with that right being prepared for and thinking about that okay do you even want to have a restaurant if you can only have half the tables right and maybe in the beginning you're going to have a quarter to a third the tables open could right. you pencil out a way to make that work? I think one of the questions that I have is like, even the speaker maker, like how much does he pivot away from speakers and into this new PPP stuff, like protective, like, and that's a concern for any business owner, right? Let's right. say I'm an insurance guy and nobody's right. going to buy insurance. So now what am I, I mean, like, I'm curious, like, how do you balance See, my vision? The thing is probably people are always going to buy insurance, maybe the kind and the cost and the what they're insuring and changes a little bit. People are, are going to even buy audio products, um, mm -hmm. maybe not the certain things they were selling, but then other things they're going to buy. Right. So there's always something going on. It's not really somebody said to me, we got to get the economy open back. And the economy's open. Yeah, there's an economy out there. People are buying and selling things now. 
Yep. Just not everything in the same way. Sure. Okay. So <laughs> what's the next step? So that, that's really the fifth step. That will find your initial moves out of the survival mode. Mm-hmm. And it may be a couple of little pivots, little adjustments, and maybe even a big one that leads you out of it. But being an early trend spotter who does all the rest really well, the first four, and then getting onto this one, you will continue to find these opportunities and you will figure out like your way out of it. And you will be the one, one of the ones who leads the recovery. And that's really all we're talking about. What are some of the obstacles that leaders face when they're going through these five steps? And what have you helped people through as you know they, they drop through one through five there? Yeah, so I, one is like any list like this. I mean, you could always add something else or come up with another version or whatever. And they're not necessarily in sequence. So they kind of feel like in the most useful sequence, but you may need to circle back on something. So I'm a trend spotter now. I need something, but now I'm dealing with that and I feel off. So I want to name the feeling. And then to even get that started, I've got to make some changes. So we started our breakout products in 2009 and 10. And I had to go to some suppliers and say, hey, I need your help to produce this in this way. But if you do this, I think this is a, a winner. And then I had to go to the customers and say, okay, well, I know there's a way that we do things in the industry and this is a hot product and we're not doing that. I want you to prepay me or pay me on shipment for things instead of getting long terms. But in return, you're going to get this best selling product. You're going to get it before everyone else and like that. So there are, there are opportunities to loop back on these things, right? Negotiate. Yeah. What are some of the other obstacles? Well, at each stage, right? We have to, you have to keep dealing with you. <laughs> You're saying I'm an obstacle? What are you talking about? <laughs> the, the bottleneck is where? Yeah, me. Yeah, At I'm the sure. top of the bottle, right? Yeah, so yeah. The, one of the key barriers you have to overcome is, is the guy in the mirror or gal in the mirror. And the, that's a good news, bad thing, news thing, right? Like you have a company or had a company that was perfectly matched to who you were. Right. And in perfect balance with it. And now you want to level it up and now it has new problems. Well, you can go and introduce new things into the company and new practices and products and things like that. But if you don't alter the way you've been leading, then you'll just end up back where you were again. You'll level up for a minute and then you'll pull it right back down again. You have to keep dealing with yourself as you implement new things and make new changes mm-hmm. because you're the, you're the beginning and you're the source of this thing as a leader. Even if you're not the ultimate leader of the company, you lead a particular department and then the department is a ripple of you and your behavior and that kind of thing. So always right. like dealing with you right? The great news about it is it's so much easier to work on you than anybody else. Complete control. It's just not as much fun. Like I'd really like whenever something's going wrong, I'd like everybody else to go fix and change themselves and just keep being me. But yeah, yeah. yeah. What one, one thing that a lot of our clients have been asking is like, how do I get my team to transform when they want to continue to do the same stuff? You know, and even though we're in this new reality and we have a pivot and we need forward momentum in a new direction, how do I get them to be on the bus? And that's probably a big part of what your work that you do. Well, you have to be willing to let people get off. So if somebody is resisting and fighting you every step of the way and has a fundamentally different view of things, there's no need to beat them down. I made that mistake once for a long time. I kept trying to win over two leaders on a team to my point of view. And as soon as they left, we actually started to get a lot better. 
And looking back at it, I don't think that their particular idea for the strategy was really that appropriate for us. But it wasn't invalid. It was not one I wanted to do. And I had a control of the company. I had a substantial ownership and I was the CEO. So it was I, we were just weren't going that way. Right. And to have them continue to resist what I was doing after a short period of time was ridiculous. Mm. So if somebody just doesn't want to play or doesn't want to be a part of it, invite them to leave free up their future. If somebody's so resistant, they're never going to be a winner in your environment. If they're not a winner in your environment, they're going to suck the soul out of everybody else, including you. So let them, let them go. That's it. Yeah. There's a place for them to win somewhere else. There's something, it. right? Okay, Bill, let, we're going to wrap up in just a yeah. second. If somebody wanted to talk with you, cause that you've in this message, you, it's resonated with them. They really feel connected to your, yeah. you know, how, your style. Yeah, yeah. How would they, and what would they, what would they do? Yeah, scalingcoach.com. That's me. Your scaling coach, scalingcoach.com. Easy to remember, easy to find. Of course, you can go listen to the Scaling Up podcast as well, but you just go there. You can drop me a note, info at scalingcoach.com. We have lots of flexible coaching options and graduated resources from one-time workshops to things like that. If we can help you scale, it'd be our pleasure to do it. Uh, the podcast is free. The other stuff, big range of it. Plus, there's the 200 other coaches in my world. So if it's not me, Right. Um, I'm happy to help you find somebody else. Yeah. We'll wrap up with this final question. We're in the process of our 30 day plan and yeah. our after Corona plan. Like what yeah. are we going to do in May? And then what yeah. are we going to do for the rest of the year? That's how we're breaking this kind of thing yeah. up. Right. Yeah. What are the things that you would include in that plan? And this is a selfish question because we're doing it right now and we're helping our clients do it too. So yeah, yeah. everybody who's calling us, we're like, hey, what's your 30? What's your 90? How are you going to survive right. out of this? What's, what's that thrive look I like? I think 30 and 90 is not too hard to figure out right now. We do 90-day plans with people. Yep. And then the adjustment we make on the 30 are, are minor tweaks to the 90. Like we're behind in this one, we're ahead on that one, you know, where are we going to reemphasize? But we're not really replanning on the on the monthly basis. Right. So the 90 day, and we just finished all our 90 day plans with clients at the beginning of the quarter. So yep. we planned as if a significant portion of this quarter is just knocked out that like as if it, the shelter was continuing the whole quarter. And then what comes Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I want to, I want to make sure that we line this up. So you're saying Q2 business is going to continue to be flat or down or like wild all Q of two. Yeah. All Q of two. All, That's funny. All Q2, right. <laughs> okay. April, May, June, all the way through June. Right. Okay. And then because in San Francisco, the Northern California Bay area, they just announced that we, still have shelter order till the end of May. So yep. June 1 is the earliest we now see. I thought it was maybe going to be earlier, but it's not. Other places have, have opened up already this week and some places haven't been under any control at all. Yeah. So if you're under some impact now, which even if you're in a non-shelter state, you're probably impacted some way. I would assume that it will continue and that it will ease very slowly. So our plans are all around some version of this for 90 days. Okay. Maybe it gets a little bit better, but don't count on that, right? And it could also be that places open early and then have to close up again because four weeks later, they're really effed up. In 1918 in San Francisco, they had a, they, it's well covered at this point, they had a celebration and they rang a bell and everybody took their masks off. And like three, four weeks later, it they were overwhelmed back. again. Yeah. Yep. So 
I think that while there may be opportunity for some easing of some restrictions, and if I, I was mayor or whatever, I might have done it a little bit differently, but I think you were, it's going to be slow. So even if you're allowed to be in a restaurant, you're not going to want to sit next to a table of other people. And if you're eating with your mouth open, you want your server to wear a mask, right? <laughs> I can't imagine when I'm going to feel comfortable to go into a movie theater again. I don't eat with my mouth open. I don't know about you. <laughs> I only chew with my mouth open. Chew and talk. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Okay, so. So anyway, that's that. Then the rest of the year, slow mm -hmm. easing, possible return for periods of time, perhaps some um, relapse into things like that. And then uh, by the fall, we could have a whole other round. Now, hopefully we'll track it better and we'll be testing better. And maybe like miracles, we have universally available testing of both antibodies right. and current virus and we'll have great tracking and we'll do hard limited shelters and it'll all be awesome. And then two years from now, right, maybe a vaccine, but even then, right, that's a future that people will still be worried about it, right? At the at the airport, unless you've got the special access super pass, you mm -hmm. are still taking your shoes off. You still have your toiletries in the thing. You still hold your hands over your head and take your wallet out and get a super body scan. That's 19 years ago. We're still living with that. So sure. we will find a way to live with something like this forever. There you go. All right. Bill Gallagher, thank you so much. Scalingcoach.com. <laughs> that that's such a down note, right? I know. But I, it speaks to the resilience and the creativity and the ingenuity and the beauty of humanity, right? Yep. I love it. If you're listening and you wanted more information about my outdesk or Bill, definitely text the MOD to 31996. You'll get your free going remote guide. Bill, we've got a link to the Rockefeller Habits 2.0 um, scaling up book and also your website on the show notes. Thank you so much. Yeah, a lot of links. We got all the links, guys. <laughs> the Rockefeller Habits is one of my favorite books. I mean, in yeah. the whole world, it's like business 101. So I think it's yeah. a great book and it's a great read. Again, I just want to thank you for your time today. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on and to speak to your uh, crowd. So my All pleasure. Right. Yeah. Thank you Thanks. so much. Bye-bye guys.